This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's exactly it, Scott. It's it's not just the first round. It's how they lost. You're up 3-1 in the series. You're up multiple times in game six, and you're up in game seven. But, like, you're right. The, the term copper bust was very, very common with this team going into the playoffs. Okay, so to sit there and say that they lost a cup – or they, or they let a cup slip through their fingers uh three rounds four rounds early is 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 it's not it's 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 a tough sell right but what i will say is the bruins this bruins team did exactly the only they did the only thing you couldn't do you couldn't lose in the first round if you lose in the second round, like you said, or the conference finals or the cup finals, is it a disappointment? Of course. Of course it's a disappointment, okay? Anytime you don't achieve your goal, it's a disappointment, especially when you've had the season that the Bruins had, okay? But fans would have been able to stomach easier losing to Toronto in seven, say, right? Or losing to the Rangers, the Devils, or the Hurricanes in a – tightly fought series and shit happens or losing to the Oilers or the stars and something just went awry and hockey's tough, man. Or, what or people... guys, guys get injured, right? Yeah. Like maybe Bergeron and Krejci re-aggravate stuff and, and they're done for the playoffs. Well, apparently, like... apparently they would have won a cup Scott if they, if they didn't <laughs> right. play. So well, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, But look that what, what fans, what fans can't stomach would be the only thing that the Bruins couldn't do, and it's what they did. Not only did they lose in the first round, they lost up 3-1 with multiple chances to close out a series. When Brad Marchand missed that breakaway in the last second of Game 5 to win the series, I had a bad feeling right then and there. I For that Bruins team to hop on a plane when that could have been the series, and then, of course, they had a chance to win overtime and they lost, but... To go back to Florida after that game and play a Panthers team with all new life in them, I was not. I was very, very trepidatious about that. And then, of course, you know, after the Game Six podcast or Game Hour podcast, I may have led on a little bit more optimistic than than I truly was feeling. But I, I knew where you, I knew where you, what you were feeling, what Bridget was feeling. And I just didn't want to have all three of us being like, I don't feel good about this game. I was 
I was being optimistic, but I was probably faking it a little bit because I was nervous as shit going into that game last night because we've seen it all. It, it's all we've seen it from the Bruins. They find ways to lose outside of 2011. But look at the year before that. Like, Scott, you know what's crazy? Look at all the 3-1 series leads. This Bruins, this Bergeron era, and I'm not blaming Bergeron, but like that, that they've had. The Bruins... Dating back to when Razor was playing, which is a long time ago, 3-1. Okay, but Bergeron was on the team. That's why I'm bringing it up. So the Canadians back in 04, but put that off to the side. That was that's that's Bergeron's a rookie. I'm not talking about that shit. Um you 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 blow a 3-1, a 3-0 lead to Carolina. Oh no, I'm sorry. You were down 3-1 in that series. Okay. You blow a 3-0 lead to Florida. Um, yeah, Florida. What, what are they called? Philly. Philly. Philly in 2010. Okay. Obviously a 3-1 lead's part of that. Uh, they blew a 3-1 lead to the uh, Maple Leafs, not once, but twice along their three series wins over Toronto. And then you do it to um, Florida this year, and I might be forgetting another one. But, man, not no no lead is safe with this Bruins team over the last 20, 15 years. They've, don't get me wrong. They've closed out a lot of series. I mean, the Bruins, along with, like, the Kings and the Penguins and the Lightning, the Bruins are probably a top-five team in the league over the last 20 years with, with playoff round victories i don't know man like they they did they did the one thing that they couldn't do when i was losing the first round and they they picked the most gut-wrenching way to do it to their fan base yeah they they've played a lot of playoff series so like just by that you're bound to kind of have every experience and sort of run the spectrum and this group in particular has found through either not being able to close out series or at times uh, forcing game sevens when they've been down three, two in series, they've played a lot of game sevens. Uh, last night was Bergeron's 14th game seven, which is tied with Zidane Char for the most ever. And obviously, uh, you know, 12 of Chara's 14 game sevens came with the Bruins two came with Ottawa. Um, so they've been in the situation a lot and we know, Obviously, they've had some huge Game 7 wins. They won three of them in 2011. They beat the Maple Leafs in Game 7s in 2013, 18, and 19. But, man, have they also had their share of just absolute heartbreak. Uh, you know, obviously, this and, and 2019 Cup Final most prominently. But, you know, Washington with Joel Ward. Um, you Scott know, Walker. Montreal. Yeah, Scott Walker in Game Seven, and that team, that team, Scott was like a that was a juggernaut Bruins team. They, they, if yeah. they got to the Carolina, like they could have gone to the finals that year. Yeah, the Montreal loss in there, like, so you know, I mean, now in the Bergeron era, they're they're six and eight in Game Seven. So you'd you'd love to be on the winning side of that, but you know, especially because like a lot of those have been at home, like that's. That's a tough pill to swallow is losing game sevens on, on home ice. Um, and three were in one year. That's yeah. The run, right? Yeah, three of the wins. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's it's fascinating. Like, I, I unfortunately, this this group, this core, is, if this really is the end for, for Bergeron and Krejci, like, we're all going to feel forever that they should have had at least one more, maybe two. And, um, you know, that's, 
that's tough because it, you get that second one and then like you're in the same group as the seventies Bruins that, that won too. And like, yeah, people look back on that team and say they should have won more and they absolutely should have, but two Stanley cups, nothing to sneeze at. Like that's still, that's still a pretty great place to be one. And then going, you know, 12 years of coming up short, like that's, that's tougher. Would have been great if they had found a way to cap off their careers with one more and, all season long, they had a team that looked like it was absolutely capable of doing it. And and I still think they were. I still think this team was absolutely good enough to win a Stanley Cup. I, you know, people call them like a, a paper tiger or, oh, they just weren't as good as their record. And I don't know, maybe there's some truth to that. Like, it, but again, I think something swung that, uh, you know, it's interesting. Like, if you dive into the analytics, because a couple people tweeted this, like, if you look at like expected goal differential during the regular season, the Bruins and Panthers were actually pretty close. And the biggest difference, well, there are a couple, but the Bruins had historically great goaltending that re- really throws expected goals out of whack because your goals are stopping way more than they're expected to. And the Panthers had below average goaltending and really poor finishing during the regular season. So like you can look at that and be like, oh, well, I guess they actually were pretty even if you look at that. And like, hey, that's a win for expected goals, right? Like, expected goals can take a victory lap today. But it's like, well, who would have predicted that the Bruins goaltending would go 885 in a seven-game series? Like, what did we see this season that would have told us that the Bruins weren't just going to – not only were they would they not get great goaltending in the series, but they would get, like, legitimately bad goaltending for – a good chunk of the series like that. You know, I would have thought you were crazy if you said that. So it's tough. It's, you know, a lot, a lot went against them. And now like they, they have to deal with this. This is, you know, if this is the end, then it ends in, in massive disappointment. And that's, that's going to be part of their legacy. Do you think there's a happy medium Jim Montgomery can find defensively? Because, Look, I it, it's 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 so cheap. It's such a cheap shot for me to sit here after a 65 win season, all those NHL records broken, getting the best out of so many players that we didn't even see a ce- potential ceiling for on this team, like Fred, Fred, Trent Frederick and Nick Foligno, and just other players up and down this Bruins lineup that seem to really benefit from Jim Montgomery's presence and coaching style. And and look, if the Bruins were to get through Florida. I, I, that's the interesting thing about this team. Like they, they played so poorly for their, for their standard for most of the series and they still almost won the series. And if they did win the series, like, yeah, I could have totally seen them button things up. And yeah, you mentioned like Bergeron probably would have had a more lingering issue going on with his back and creatures. You never know, but I did think the Bruins would like, yeah, they, the sky was the limit if they won that series. Um, But you know, what's interesting, Scott, all these turnovers, all of these careless plays. I'm not trying to take a cheap shot here, and this is this is probably going to be a big talking point, and it's it's, it's a cheap talking point. I get it, but we didn't see that with under 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 Bruce Cassidy's system. They were like not nearly to that degree. And I guess I'm not saying Jim Montgomery wasn't the right guy for this team. What I'm saying is, did you see anything structurally X's and O's wise that? the Bruins just played allowing their D to activate so much. And it just kind of 
over the course of the season that their 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 D just got used to making plays with the puck on their stick, and then they just started overthinking. Whereas, like you think back to like meat and potatoes defenses, it's just, like look at Radko Gudis and look look at the defensive core that just beat you. Okay, Radko Gudis, Mark Stahl, um, you know Montour is like a new age defenseman, but Gudis, Mark Stahl, like those are those are old school defensemen that they they aren't overthinking anything. I got puck on stick. I get rid of puck on stick. Like they're not like I'm not saying this as like a compliment necessarily, but like you have to simplify the game in the playoffs. And I'm wondering if all the bells and whistles of an offensively and creativity creatively flowed system in the regular season. I'm wondering if it just led to overthinking in the playoffs. And yeah, so it, yeah, it's, did you hear that last part, Scott? You just kind of yeah went away for a second. It's, it. It's a fair question. I I think um, I don't know that it like I don't think the the system was wrong or anything. I think I think what Jim Montgomery built this year with the defense activating more and being more involved in the offense was huge because I think it helped them create more five on five offense and it helped them create more high danger chances, which were huge points of emphasis coming off the last couple of years and were areas they needed to improve and did over the course of the year where I would question is, okay, when you're not getting as smooth of breakouts and transitions from your own zone, you know, did he, did he wait too long to simplify and tell guys, look, we're going to have to resort to more, just, you know, put it off the glass and out, uh, flip it out into the neutral zone and, and go battle 50, 50, um, you know, so was that adjustment too slow? Did they need more of that? Because I I would rather have a defense core that can be more mobile and and do more, and then have to reel it in and simplify if if needed. Versus, you know, look, Florida obviously won this series, so great, it worked for them. But I think if you if you go the other way, where all you can do is keep it simple and then you get into a, to a series where you need your defense to be more active and carry the puck more. Cause that's what they're and you can't do it. Like that's tougher to, to adjust to mid series. So, you know, Jim Montgomery was asked after game seven, like, do you think you had the personnel or, or was it execution? And he basically said like, I, you know, I need more time to think about it, but right now I would, you know, I put it on myself, like, I, you know, we, we didn't adjust the right way. And I kind of, my thought as we sit here the morning after is that's what I think it is. Like, I, I don't think it was a personnel issue. I think this defense core had, had everything you needed, honestly. Like, I think you're getting very nitpicky if you're like, oh, we need a better defense core than one that has McAvoy, Lindholm, Orlov, Carlo, Grizzly, Forber, Clinton. Like, that should be a good enough defense core to do whatever it is you want to do. And, and, I'll absolutely second guess like taking Grizzly out, putting Clifton back in. But overall, like that, it, to me, it's, I, I just think they were too slow to adjust. And when, when the, the smooth transitions that they're used to weren't going to be there, I do think there wasn't enough simplifying and it didn't happen quick enough. And they still tried to, they still resorted to trying, trying the plays that, you know, were there a lot of the season, but again, they were there in, during the season when you weren't facing a team that was one of the best four-check teams in the league. Like, that's that's a team that presents problems and forces you to adjust your breakout, 
And at times they, they didn't make those adjustments in nearly a timely enough manner. I want to ask you a question about somebody in particular who's pound for pound, one of my favorite players I've ever watched in the Bruins, and that's Charlie McAvoy. Now, a lot of people were commenting to me last night after uh, a post-game tweet, and just I saw chatter about this in general. A, a lot of people are expecting more of McAvoy, and when they don't see it in the playoffs – consistently enough they are questioning if he i don't know they're just questioning his his level of play in the playoffs now here's the thing charlie mcavoy's first nhl shift was in the middle of a playoff series back in 2017 against the ottawa senators a team that was one goal away in double overtime from going to the cup finals that year mcavoy stepped in played far beyond his years and was just such a stud, and you could just see what this kid could be and what he was going to be. The following year, the Bruins beat the the Maple Leafs in Game 7, and then they lost the Lightning in Game 5. Um, I thought McAvoy played well in that Lightning series. He had a goal. He, 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 that Lightning team was really good. Fine. 2019, he and Char led the Bruins to a cup run. I think Charlie McAvoy played great in that cup run. But since the 2019 finals, how would you assess his postseason play as a whole? We're now talking, we're talking the bubble year where they beat Carolina in five, bowed out to Tampa in five, but that was a really weird situation. Then they lost to the Islanders in six. He got kind of bullied in that series. And last year they lost to the Hurricanes in seven. He was good, wasn't awesome, I don't think, at times. And then this year. So I guess what I'm asking you, Scott, is is it fair to say over the last three or four postseasons that Charlie McAvoy has not really been the guy that he they need him to be and that he's been for them every regular season that he's played? Yeah, I think, you know, look, he's a player who finished top five in Norris voting two years in a row before this year. This year, I think if he had played a full season, he might finish top five again. Um, so I think it's fair to say like you haven't quite seen that level of defenseman in the playoffs the last few years. I, I definitely don't think he's been bad. And I thought there are times in this series that he was great. Like we talked about him setting the physical tone. And I think, I think that helps get him into the game um, when he does that. Like, he he sets a physical tone without taking himself out of the play, and I think it, it kind of elevates his, his all-around game. And even Game 7, I thought he had some really good offensive zone shifts, but overall I don't think we saw enough of those in this series. Um, and, you know, the, the tough thing is, is like in the past, I think we've looked at the, the Grizzly-McAvoy pairing hasn't been as good and hasn't been nearly as good in the playoffs as they are in the regular season. And before this year, it was like almost a complete reversal. It was like, you know, if you looked at like course, expected goals, all that, it was like that pairing would, would be over 60% in the regular season, like under 40% in the playoffs. Like it was like a complete reversal. And I think, you know, we would look at that and go, well, Grizzly doesn't hold up in the playoffs. And you would kind of pinpoint that as the problem. 
what's tough for McAvoy is this year he got a lot of time with Orlov, who, you know, should be a better playoff defenseman, better playoff partner than Grizzlick is, and that pairing still struggled. And it's like, uh, you know, they got a lot of time together in the regular season. I think they learned each other's games, but, you know, was something missing there? Is there a reason that Orlov McAvoy as a pairing didn't click? You know, is that McAvoy's fault? You know, are they both at fault? Is it Orlov? Is it like, I, I would probably need to like try to dive into it more, but it's for whatever reason, it doesn't, it, it hasn't clicked. And for it to now not work with, you know, a different D partner than what he's had in the past, sort of, yeah, you do look at McAvoy a little more and be like, all right, what's what's his role in this? Like, he's a player who should be able to perform with basically anyone. So why isn't it quite working at elite Norris Trophy caliber levels in the playoffs? Um, I, I mentioned earlier, but like, I wonder, like, I know it's tough to break up Lindholm Carlo because of how good they were in the regular season, but I do wonder, like, if you went to Lindholm McAvoy on a more regular basis, like would that, would that have been it? Maybe that would have gotten both of them going more. You know, I, I don't know. Again, it's so easy to second guess after something like this, but um, you know, I wonder if maybe that's something we see more of going forward where, Hey, these guys are both here for, for eight years, you know, what, seven more after this, you know, is it worth seeing if like, if the best thing for both of those guys is to play together. Like, I think that's probably something worth exploring going forward. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fair to be critical to an extent of McAvoy. I, I, I don't think he's been bad. So like, I'm not going to go that far, but he can't but, be bad. Scott. He's, he's too good to be bad. Right. So the question is yeah. more like, why isn't the, he getting quite all the ways to top gear? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I don't have a great answer, but it it is fair to say like he hasn't quite gotten there. Yeah, and and you know you watch this team. Uh, look, Scott. Now that it's, now that it's over and done with, and we're not recapping every game and trying to find the positives and whatever. But like the, the Bruins didn't play great hockey the last month and a half of the season. Even games that they won, the lineup was inconsistent for different reasons: injuries, trade deadlines, cap reasons, whatever. But the lineup, the lineup was inconsistent. Their play was inconsistent. And so when I said off the top of the podcast that the Bruins weren't playing the meaningful games that Florida was playing, and I guess all I was saying, bringing it up for, was because I just – am I surprised they lost the series? Yes. Am I surprised that their, that their inconsistent play carried over into the first round? No. I wasn't surprised by that. I just thought that it would be still good enough to win a series against Florida. I'm not surprised that their poor play, inconsistent play, I'll say, carried into the first round. Um, and I, I think a lot has to do with that. Yeah, tinkering with D pairs, always finding a different guy to play with a different guy, different forward lines. Like you can't, you can't just stick your hands into a a, a, tr- a trick or treating bag and just shuffle all the candy. Pick your favorite candy and just stick with it. All right, like Jim Montgomery was just he was a kid in the candy store too much with the, with these lines and and. And D pairs, and I know a lot of it was injury reasons, and I know a lot of it was cap reasons, and I get it. But there were times down the stretch here and in the playoffs where he had his total arsenal, and he just still just he couldn't help himself. He just had to keep just 
changing things up and changing things up and see what works and see what sticks. And this guy was feeling bad with this guy, so I want to put it with this guy so they can laugh together. It's like just put your put the lines together that you had for most of the season and run with it. Like the the Bruins game seven, the Bruins. I think you made this point earlier. It's like they didn't even run off the lines that they had most of the year. Like Bergeron, Bertuzzi, and Martian had how many games together? Not in the regular season, right? It was all in the series. I think they did one. I think they had one together in the regular season where they mm-hmm. moved Bertuzzi up there just like during that initial kind of two week trial run where they were moving them all around. But just crazy, yeah, it's, I mean, it's weird because like we kept talking about what's, what's this, uh, you know, mythical full lineup. Like, are we ever actually going to see them healthy? And it's like, you actually finally got it in game six and seven, but as a result, it was like you almost had one too many forwards. Like, like no matter what, someone was going to be somewhere where it was something different. And, you know, so it's like, okay, you can say, put Marsha and Bergeron and DeBrus together, check line together. All right, so now that third line's Hall, Coyle, Bertuzzi, which hasn't been together, and Montgomery clearly didn't have a lot of faith in. Like, he went... He started game six with them together and went away from it about halfway through that game. Um, and it's like, well, the natural fit there, the guy who was on that line all year and played pretty damn well there was Trent Frederick. But it's like, okay, well, so Tyler Bertuzzi's going down to the third to the fourth line. He's like tied for your team lead in points in the playoffs. He's he's playing on the fourth line. You know, so it's we kept saying like it was a great problem to have, and it was, and you know. Don Sweeney did a great job adding to this team at the trade deadline. But because you never had everyone healthy, you never, you never got, you never found that lineup that, you know, how does it look best with, with everyone in it? And they, you try to figure it out on the fly in the middle of a playoff series. And like, that's, that's tough to do. And I don't even know what, I don't even know what the right answer is. Like, I don't know who, who you, you know, my approach would have been the same thing that they did. Like to me, it's, it's Frederick or Felino is, is a healthy scratch and, and too bad. And I think if it had gone another game, might've been Hathaway who was a healthy scratch in the next game after, you know, I thought he had a pretty tough game seven, but you know, it's like, I, I can sit here and say like, I want Frederick with coil because that combination has worked all year, but then who's going down to the fourth line or coming out of the lineup from that top nine. Like it's, they just were never able to to really practice it all and, and settle on anything. I guess the one second guess I would have there is why those last three regular season games when Hall returns, why didn't he try Hall, Coyle, Bertuzzi for a full game or two? Like just knowing that at some point that might be your third line in the playoffs. Like why didn't that get more of a look? So that's, that's something I still question, but you know, otherwise it's, it's trying to fit a lot of good pieces together and not quite finding uh, the right combination. Um, and I've, I've now lost Brian, which I think is, is a sign that maybe it's time to, to wrap up this podcast. So uh, I think we've, we've covered pretty much everything. We will be doing another episode. Um, after we'll be doing another episode after like breakup day and, and press conferences for Don Sweeney and Cam Neely 
and we'll do some looking ahead to the off season then and you know what what changes they're going to make what this team will look like next year um i on behalf of all of us i definitely want to thank everyone who's who's listened all season we will continue to go throughout the off season maybe not quite as frequently but uh we really appreciate everyone listening and everyone watching uh getting the podcast up on youtube more has uh i think been really good for us and you know has been um you know has been a, a positive experience and uh i think has added another way for people to interact with us so we appreciate it we appreciate you listening all the support and uh we'll talk to you again later this week <laughs>